Thanks so much to Pod Plays Podcast, bringing great stories, epic songs, audio dramas that are a movie for your ears. Within each story, you'll discover new and original music by Nashville's top hit songwriters. Visit podplays.com to find the stories, the app, and links to follow Pod Plays on all your favorite social media sites. Man, can I get a little more talent in my mic? This is The Marty Ray Project Chats, and I'm Marty Ray, one of the hosts of this podcast. You might know me from a beard video, a prank call, a rap song turned acoustic cover, or hopefully one of my original albums. And I'm Chris Wallen. You might know me from, where would they know me from again? You might know Chris from number one hit songs like Don't Blink by Kenny Chesney and Something to Be Proud of by Montgomery Gentry. Whether you know either one of us or not, I bet you're going to have fun here. Welcome to The Project. Download, subscribe, and rate, whether you love it or not. Sound supplied by Roadcaster Pro. She's an amazing Texas woman that has written songs for Martina McBride, Pam Tillis, Gretchen Wilson, Patty Lullis, Vince Gill, and even George Strait. Some call him the king of country, you know. She's wrote songs like, When God Fearing Women Get the Blues, I Said a Prayer, and Troubadour, just to name a few. She's as sweet as apple pie, and I hope she'll adopt me someday. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Leslie Satcher. Thank you. I'm proud to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, that ain't what you said before we started rolling. Well, I mean, that was off camera. You was asking <laughs> us how long we've been doing this. We were so unprofessional, and you don't you don't really do this without an honorarium. Could I yeah. borrow $30? Yeah, yeah there's a lot, all that. There's yeah. a lot going on before. I just want to, <laughs> we just like to be completely transparent on this show <laughs> to let our let our people know exactly how our guests really are. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we didn't even get into football, thank, thank the We Lord. sure did. We did get oh. into a little boxing. We got into some boxing, but we liked same guy we do that's that right out good but did you like tyson i respect his ability to bite somebody's ear off oh man but well, well before that uh he's he's all right he was exciting though wasn't he's he? exciting but i'll tell you what i mean he could make you mad that you spent the money to rent the you know HBO program mm-hmm. in six seconds it's over <laughs> bam but that's what we that's what we all bought it for though really <laughs> We were just mad it came that quickly. Mm. We didn't get to see enough of the face being swolled up on the. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The only one we, me, me and my sister used to rent them, and and bef- the only one we, we got so mad at the one before where he had, you know, the fight was over in six seconds. So the Holyfield fight comes up, you know, the famous one. We're like, we're not renting it. We can hear it on our TV. We can hear the HBO channel. We can hear what's happening. We ain't gonna rent it. We're just gonna listen to it. It'll be over in three seconds anyway. You know, that's the one he bit the ear, and we we're like, oh no. <laughs> We were so mad we didn't rent it. I was show watching that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. I watched every Tyson fight, every Holyfield fight. Watched every one of them. You got to think about this. Holyfield, I watched him working out in Atlanta in the hotel before that fight. He was doing walking, uh, walking lunges, carrying 500 pounds. Now, lunges are hard enough. Walking lunges... Wow. Carrying 500 pounds, 250 in each hand. He walked across, I Good watched gracious. him walk across a ballroom doing that. And I'm thinking, he's going to slay Tyson. Yeah, he did. Now. I mean, I mean, he really did. If you take away the, the biting of the ear, yeah, he was, he was destroying. That's why Tyson bit his ear. Yeah. Tyson would even, even says it, you know, they're friends today. Yeah. He was on, Evander Holyfield came on Tyson's podcast and they talked about that, how they buried the hatchet and Tyson apologized. Give him his ear back. He gave him his ear back. He sold a piece on, and he broke Tyson all over there. There's no way I could have done that without saying, 
Man, thank you for coming on the show. I just wanted to bend your ear a little bit. <laughs> and um, That's wrong. There's no way That's I could wrong. have not said that. <laughs> oh, Leslie, we start every show with a fast five. We ask mm-hmm. you five fast questions, Listen. and we get five quick answers. Come on. Usually. All right. Yeah. But we'll see. They're never okay. quick. They're never quick. I can they, never, quick. <laughs> they never are. Uh, what nicknames would you give Chris and I? Scooter for Chris. Hey. Scooter, come on now. And Hard Rock for you. Scooter and Hard Rock. Oh, Scooter and Hard Rock. I like that. (laughs) We're changing the name of the show to that. Oh, it's completely changing. Scooter and Hard Rock. Welcome to Scooter and Hard Rock. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's just what came to my mind. On your polka station, (laughs) (laughs) 96.3. Is that polka? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's totally polka. Give me a polka thing with your mouth quickly. A polka thing? Yeah, like a sound. Oh. Uh, yeah. So it's Italian? No, it's polka. It's like uh, German. Oh, I was doing more of an Italian thing. Yeah, you were. That's what that reminded me of. Yeah. 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 Didn't you ever eat at the Gerst house downtown? No. He hates German food. They I do. polka stuff down there. I don't hate Germans, though. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's good of me. It's good not to I'll hate take, I tell myself how proud I am of myself every night. Well, I bet That you I don't do. hate Germans. I bet you do. And I tell my mom, I say, Mom, I don't hate Germans. And she goes, that's good, son. That's a, that's a good boy. That's a good boy. <laughs> my little non-hating German boy right there. Let's not be hating. Yeah. Um, what's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? That German food downtown? No, I ate a uh, a piece of mutton in Australia. Blech, I didn't mutton, like isn't that lamb? Yes, I did not care for it. Now, what is mutton? What part it of the lamb? It was a leg of mutton. It was a leg. Do you like a, a rack of lamb? No, I lamb? not. I don't either. No, I'm a Texas girl. We eat beef. I don't like any lamb either. Do you like lamb? I, I have eaten lamb that I really liked before. Like veal and stuff? Mm, no. I like veal now. That's 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 baby deer. Mm, Ain't no. veal baby deer? Veal no, is veal lamb. Is, is baby lamb. Is it? Yeah. Yes, baby mm-hmm. lamb. I like, I, when they bred the patty, mm-hmm. you know, the veal patty, that's that's lamb? A veal cutlet is lamb. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My whole life I thought it was a baby deer. Venison. Mm-hmm. Venison. Venison. That's what I'm talking deer. about. Yeah. Venison, venison is deer, yeah. I apologize. That's what, I've, that's what I've eaten. Okay. You like venison. Yeah, venison. Yeah, well, you're yeah. a country boy. I don't, I don't, uh, I never have liked lamb, and I've tried some very expensive no, I lamb. I'll tell you what, people, people are probably going to, like, not be happy about this, but I'll Already tell you ain't. some great lamb. i tell you who has the best, is Outback Steakhouse. They have oh. lamb that tastes like, I mean, it, it tastes like beef. It's good. Well, why not just really get good. beef? Yeah. You know what I'm saying, Leslie? Right. You and me. Can, the king of meat. What are you going to call me as your son? Hard rock. Hard rock. Hard rock. Yeah. <laughs> Hard rock satcher. <laughs> I know. Hey, I know. Uh, I want to come to one of your Christmases. Oh, we have big Christmas. I know. We wrap everything. If the cat stands still long enough, we put a bow on it. I ain't oh, talking man. about for the presents. I'm talking about for the food. The food is awesome. That's food. what I want. We Don't do wrap good, the food now. We do good food. We do good food. My mama makes an amazing dressing, cornbread dressing now. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what That's what my Texas. favorite thing. Yeah. Not, not, you know, we don't use do bread dressing like stuffing. No, no I don't think that's dressing. Texas, though. 
Well, I mean, just that's how we make it down in Texas. Because yeah. in Arkansas, right. that's yeah. exactly how we do it. Yeah. yeah. Are you from Arkansas? I'm yeah. from Arkansas. Oh, son. Born in Memphis, raised in Arkansas. Born in Memphis, though. Yeah, I was born right. in Memphis. Yeah. You, got, you don't like Arkansas. Saved by grace. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth now, Leslie. <laughs> Uh, Y'all know Erin Enderlin. You know Erin. She's do, a precious yeah. songwriter. Yeah. The first time I ever met her, she goes, I go, huh, where are you from? She goes, Conway, Arkansas. I went, I'm sorry. She goes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Arkansas. Well, I love passing through it. Well, you ain't been to the good places. <laughs> now, you might have passed through Blyville where I, where I grew up and been like that. That's where oh, you got this idea from. <laughs> what town are you from? Blyville, Arkansas. I know where it is. Man. Yeah, I know you do because oh, that's he, where you got he, your opinion. He kind of went into the I kinda, Bly, oh, Blyville, oh, Arkansas. That's when he started talking. This is, I know this is how we talk. No, I saw Bentonville a couple years ago and it was beautiful. It's amazing. It First Walmart. Beautiful. The place where you probably shop majority of your life. You like Walmart? I love Walmart. Who yeah. love Walmart? Guess where that came from? Bentonville, Arkansas. That's right. <laughs> Guess where J.B. Hunt that delivers packages all over the country come Arkansas. from? Arkansas. Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Guess where the best duck hunting is? Arkansas. Arkansas. According to my friend who who duck hunts there every year. That's right. Mm-hmm. You think you think that's a mistake? No, God made Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> To get shot at. To get shot yeah. at. Come to Arkansas to shoot at it. For his beautiful creatures to get blasted. Yeah. Come on down to Arkansas man. and get shot. Yeehaw. You know what's funny is uh we were on the, we were on a call with a British man recently. Mm-hmm. Remember this call with Jared? And he do you remember it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't I sometimes I can't tell when you're going, hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, Marty, I remember it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, it was a good call. Anyway, we were on this call. <laughs> and my buddy was with his buddy, who was a, a, a Britishman, mm-hmm. and uh, is that what they call him, Britishman? <laughs> a Britishman. British gentleman. You're right. A British gentleman. I'm British sorry, gentleman. Leslie. That's Thanks, right. Mama. Um, so he starts talking. He goes, "Can you give me a yeehaw?" And I was like, I, "I'm from Arkansas, so like, no, that's not what we say." <laughs> he goes, "Well, every 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 uh, maybe he was Irish because the way I'm doing it sounds yeah. Irish. Every <laughs> every." <laughs> He said, every country boy I speak to, I say, give me a yee-haw, and they say yee-haw. And I say, well, they're not really country boys, or they're from Texas, because you don't do that in Arkansas. Nobody in Arkansas does, says yee-haw. But do they do that in Texas randomly? Not so much, no. That's a Texas thing, though, is it not? Not so much, no. What? I mean, yee-haw, I don't know what you use that for. You don't call cows with it or nothing. So I mean, what I thought I would have thought that would have been. There's a, a lot cowboy. of stuff like that you saw on television. It's like I think it people was who, you know, Rogers thing. <laughs> yeah, well, and um, was uh, Roy Rogers from Texas? No, no. Was he was was he Hall? What was it? What was he Hall? Hall was from it, it shot up here in Tennessee. I know, but weren't they weren't they like the plot of it or what? Well, they, the Duke they, boys. Dukes of Hazard said that. That's North Carolina, but they 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 said yeehaw. They yeah. said yeehaw. When so that's where it is. TV, fake TV. Yeah, well, we had Bo Duke on this show. Yeah, yeah we do. Did he yeah. say yeehaw? I should have asked him. Yeah, well, Dad, come it. Why didn't we? I got to call him. Mm-hmm. Just get one more yeehaw, Leslie. If you had to eat the same meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes mm-hmm. and fried potatoes. Mm. Oh, fried potatoes. Oh, mama uh, makes the best fried potatoes. No mashed potatoes fries. with gravy? Round, sliced round. I would if I eat chicken fried steak, I gotta have mashed potatoes with gravy. Well, well mama makes the best chicken fried steak with sliced potatoes and and uh put onions in there when they're I mean, I'll eat, mm-hmm. I mean oh, yeah. I'll eat the fried potatoes too. I bet you will, because she slices them thin as potato chips. 
Ooh, they're yummy. I love mm. it. Now, what else? Eat, what else goes with that meal? Chocolate pie. <laughs> no, I'm saying so. Even so, the entree is just chicken fried steak and potatoes. Chicken fried steak and sliced tomatoes and uh, um, red beans and cornbread. Sometimes All Granny would make that at the same time. Sometimes Granny would, and then um, also they'd have uh, sometimes some corn on the cob, but mostly potatoes. So never mac and cheese. You're not a mac and cheese person. Granny made great mac and cheese, baked mac and cheese. It was good. Mm. It makes it good too. But chicken yeah. fried steak, I always thought that's my best yeah. favorite meal. I think mac and cheese goes with everything, even ice cream. Really? Yeah, I like. Safe from Arkansas. Well, yeah, <laughs> he saved you from Arkansas. Yeehaw, all right. Yeehaw, all right. Yeehaw, Leslie. Oh, mac and cheese. Yeehaw. In fact, that's my new nicknames for y'all: Mac and Cheese. Mac oh. and Cheese. Yeah, Bye. man. Oh, that was perfect. You saved you from Arkansas. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> This is a real Tennessee boy here. I know he is. Oh, you can't yeah. get no more Tennessee than Chris. Oh, come on now. You sure can't. Come on now. <laughs> oh, boy. What word should be added to the dictionary that you commonly say? It's probably already, well, it's probably already, did I commonly say? Yeah, something you say that's not in the dictionary. Hmm. Well, I don't, I can't, I just, the first word that came to my mind that should be in the dictionary, but it probably already is. But I love this word, love and kindness. I love that word. That's in the Bible. Yes. I don't know if that's in the dictionary as one word, but if it's not, it should be in there. Love and kindness. Love and kindness. I like love that. and kindness. Yeah, that's, that's the King James word. right there. It is. Mm-hmm. You think about that. Love now. dash in dash kindness. Love and kindness. It's loving kindness. L-O-V-I-N-G kindness. Love mm-hmm. and kindness. Yeah, Chris. It's a thing. It's not mac and cheese. Not like mac, mac and cheese. cheese. Well, <laughs> I still own mac and cheese, and I'm hungry. Love, love, love and apostrophe. Oh man, <laughs> man, <laughs> kindness, love and kindness. Mac and spelling cheese. Me. Okay, Chris. <laughs> mac and cheese. What? Where does it originate from? Have y'all ever seen Say it in a sentence? Bible. Have y'all ever seen the the famous clip? Most famous clip from the National Spelling Bee, where the boy gets up there. And his brother had won the previous year, and he gets up there and he and he they, whatever the word was, he they ask him the word, and he goes, he asks him several questions, then he passes out on stage, just falls. Oh no! And they go, oh, this is not uh, okay. Uh, they don't know what to say. You got to look the clip up if you hadn't seen it. Oh, it's the funniest thing. Here's what's funny about it: the boy is like he just falls over, and then before they get up there to pick him up, he just he gathers himself back up and he goes. L A J, <laughs> and he gets it right, <laughs> and they go, "That's correct." That, that's correct. Oh, bless him! Yeah, Did he win? I, I don't know if he won the whole thing, but he got man. that. He got, oh, I didn't. Bless. I didn't continue watching the rest of the spelling bee. It seems boring. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? You watch Hallmark movies? Oh heck yeah! Oh, I mean, it's that or politics at my house and so after you have so well, much I'd rather watch Hallmark you have to switch to something that you yeah. know has a happy ending I'd rather yeah I'll get you on that but I'd rather I'd rather watch uh, grass grow than, than politics well, or Hallmark I mean, we've watched it so much that you have, I to, know. Well, you have to go somewhere where you don't want to you know jump I know. off a building I know that's right at the yeah. end so we would do a little Hallmark I see Chris does too apparently was it yeah, jump off a building? No, Hallmark. They all end the same. That's a good thing. That's true. He was. They were talking about Hallmark before the before you got here, and 
It was an in-depth conversation about some of the plots and twists and things. Yeah. So I was, I was just curious. It's not rocket science. If something has changed. Somebody's is, always trying to open a bakery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some, maybe a candle shop, something like that. The there's always a love interest. The, and then there's a person who, who's kind of getting in the middle of the love interest, mm-hmm, trying to mm-hmm. break it up. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's always the same. The baker can be a detective solving crimes that the cops can't solve. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. We already got it. Every one of them. <laughs> right there. You want us to write something right now? We'll no, thank you. No, thank okay. you. No, Please. We will, I, I got bored and almost fell asleep. <laughs> we'll write just it right talking now. right there. They've got okay. a new series on Hallmark, though, and I cannot watch it because they've got uh, this guy's a country singer. Oh, no. Like, oh, I hate those. I can't do it, man. The second it comes on, I'm like, click, back to politics. Yeah. Click. I wouldn't dare watch that, that fake no. country singer. I can't take it. Did you watch uh, Nashville? I did not. I watched about two seconds in Nashville. I thought it was too nasty. I turned it off. It was kind of nasty. For me, it was just like so many things that what there's no way that could have happened. I'm just like, yeah, I watched about two shows of it, and I was like, no, oh my gosh, come on. Well, I mean, they don't. That's what that's what movies are. Movies and shows are to to escape reality, not to. See, it's not, they didn't uh, say this is a true story. We pass, Marty. Yeah. Her and I pass on well, that. Well, you know what? Both of y'all are going to watch it with me. Ben, we pass. go ahead and roll it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to watch it. I season doctors one. don't watch, you know, Grey's Anatomy. No, I, actually, I don't know if doctors do, but a lot of nurses do. Well, yeah. am I? He's married to a nurse. Are you? I am. She watch Grey's Anatomy? She don't. <laughs> One for the guest. One for the guest. Oh man! <laughs> the reason I know uh, the reason I know nurses do is because she's <laughs> uh, she don't. Yeah. No. I'm like the boy I'm about to pass out. Uh. <laughs> she she does not watch it, ma'am. <laughs> no. So my wife talks about it all the time because her her um, fellow employees are always talking about it. Crazy Anatomy. Yeah. yeah. And then there was another show called Nurse Jackie. That a lot of them watched. Yeah, my wife tried to watch that one, and it was <laughs> Not filthy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched a Nurse Jackie one time, oh, and I was you? like, "Whoa, yeah, that's getting a little uh, okay." If if stuff like that went on in the hospital, I wouldn't allow my wife to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Allow? I shouldn't say allow. Don't, don't come after yeah, me. You hear that? You hear that? Don't come after me, people. Oh, you've had it now. Oh, here they come, <laughs> Deputy Chris, take over. <laughs> I don't mean allow like I'm her <laughs> boss. You would ask her not to watch I would it. plead with her yeah. not to. Thank you, Mama. Yeah. Did you always sing? Yes. My daddy was a, a Baptist minister of music, so we came up in church singing. I was born on Wednesday night after choir practice. That's a true story. In the church uh, after, after, no, ch- after service? No, went to the hospital. He went to choir practice. But um, I've always sang. We started in church and sang all in school and just kept on singing. So you just came out the womb singing. Don't you never learned? I never did have to learn to sing. No, right on. I not listen. I had to learn how to sing in the studio when I got to town, because I thought pretty sure you know. I, first, I thought it was Reba. Say so she needed to go on home. Yeah, I know, like, right? I'm here going home. Thank well, God yeah. she didn't, because she started cutting my songs, bless her. <laughs> um, so first, I thought it was Reba. She needed to move along. Then I was convinced I was Winona. And I nearly stripped a gear trying to do that. Then I was, I thought, well, you know, okay, you're, you can't sing like Winona. You're not as good as Winona. Forget that noise. You love Emmy Lou. You're Emmy Lou. Sing like Emmy Lou. So that was about the time I started writing with Vince. And so we had done some work tapes and stuff on some stuff. And now Vince Gill, remember, now he's toured with her. His, 
bulk of his life and known her his whole life and all this stuff, okay? So some years down the road, after I did finally find my own voice and learn to sing in the studio, <laughs> I'm over Vinny's and we're looking for some old song that we'd written. And he's pulling out these work tapes we'd made and he pops one in and he, and, and it's me trying to sing like Amy Lou on this thing that we'd written. And I mean, I'm doing my best Amy Lou impression. And I go, oh, this is all I said. I go, Oh, what? why didn't you tell me? And he said, would you have listened? And I said, no. He goes, that's why I didn't tell you. <laughs> I'm like, man, you could have saved me two or three years. But I, I did have to learn how to sing in the studio. Learn how to sing in my own voice. Now you mentioned right. you mentioned Winona. Naomi actually is the one that got you started in writing, ain't she? She did. Well, her husband Larry Strickland, who was with the Stamps, uh, you know, with Elvis and all that, and sings bass, and he and his uh, partner Don Potter, who played guitar for the Judds, all that stuff on their records, basically discovered them. Um, they were going to start a publishing company, and a guy at church said, hey, Larry, you need to listen to this girl's songs. I didn't even know you could be a songwriter. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know you could make money doing it. And I was working a job, you know, and so I What did you do? I worked for the Baptist Sunday School Board downtown in the basement. I was taking orders for quarterlies, you know, and all that stuff (laughs) from their catalog, you know. Really? People call up and order a flag set. Oh. Quarterlies and pencils, you know. That's I didn't didn't even know that was such a thing. Yeah, man, it was. I don't know if it is now, but it was then. Anyhow. Um, I played some songs for them, and they were like, okay, we're going to give you a, a writing deal. This new company we're starting. And the Judds were in their, in their last year, but they didn't know it. It was before Naomi got sick. And um, I said, no, I, I, don't, I didn't come here to get a writing deal. I don't know what that is. I'm a singer. I want a record deal. And <laughs> they go, what do you mean you don't want a writing deal? I said, well, I, I don't want to do that. I said, I, if I'm a writer, they won't let me be a singer. And he, go, he goes, Don Potter goes, all right, let me give a few names to you. He goes, let's talk about Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson, at that time, Overstreet, Paul Overstreet was a big mm. deal, Paul Overstreet. He goes, all those people write their own songs, Leslie, and they're, and they're artists, too. And I went, all right, well, I'll take one of them writing deals then. I <laughs> 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 go, does it pay money? They go, Yeah. But then uh, that's when Naomi got sick, and so everything kind of fell through, and I had to get another job. So, Winona is actually one of my favorite female singers. She's a singing mother. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, she's a singer. You mentioned Willie Nelson. You you actually said that somebody asked you when you were writing. I don't. When, when was it when you were somebody asked you who do you want to write a song for, and you said Willie Nelson, and was, he ended up cutting it. I was writing one Friday with my friend Don Portress, who's a great songwriter. And he said, we were both just, you know, it was Friday evening. Everybody was already gone home, you know, for the weekend. But we hadn't had a hit yet, so we were, like, still writing on Friday evening. And I said, he said, if you could write a song for anybody, who would it be? And I said, Willie Nelson. He goes, we can't get a song to Willie Nelson. And I said, well, yes, we can. Because uh, I was cutting my first record at the time for Warner Brothers, and Mickey Raphael was playing on my album. And he said, I said, we, we wrote this song. And I said, um, we'll give it to Mickey. Mickey will take it to Willie. And that's exactly what happened. He did. He took it to Willie, and then Willie called me up on the phone from Hawaii. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the song was, uh, what was the song? You Remain. You Remain. And the first time I ever heard it was when I started looking you up. Oh, thank you. 
And it's really a beautiful song. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really nice. And Willie said it's his favorite song. He did say that to me. That he cut. He didn't say it into the microphone. I wish he had said it in <laughs> well, we gonna, this little box. <laughs> I know. We're going to get him over here, and, <laughs> and he's going to say it. Man, have you met Willie Nelson? I have. He's on my. He signed my guitar. My Martin. Did you shake hands with him? I don't remember if I shook he hands. He has the biggest grip and handshake. When I shook hands with him the first time, he's like grabbing hold of a ham i mean really? he's got a great big hand you don't expect that but it's really he has a big grip on him i don't think nice. i remember grabbing his hand so well, next time shake hands next man. time i'm gonna grab his hand he's got a great handshake i hope i get to meet him again he's a, he was an awesome guy man when he's i met him super nice yeah he don't know me but i met him at, a, at his show essentially you know what i did i i wanted him to sign my guitar mm-hmm. and i was at a show and i ran up there as he was walking off and i said willie would you sign this and and he signed it. And then his son, Micah Nelson, was up there, too. And he was kind of hanging out. And I felt bad. So I was like, you want to sign my guitar? I said, sign my guitar. So he signed it, too. Hey, man, he's kind of coming on. Micah? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard nothing from him. Willie's uh, other son, his older son, I believe, like Lucas. Mm-hmm. He's really good. He sounds a lot like his mm-hmm. daddy. So I really like him. He might be the one that's coming on. I think that's who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, he's blowing up. Yeah. I don't think Micah care, wants to. Mm, well. Don't uh-huh. seem like it. I think he just enjoyed playing with his daddy. The Lost Nancy. Yeah. How many songs have you written for Willie? Just that one? Yeah, that's the only one I think he's recorded. But um, I've, I've written a zillion songs for him. That's the only one he recorded. <laughs> yeah. He How did. many songs have you written, you think, in total? Oh, just off the top of your head. Mm, probably three or 4,000, maybe. Three or four thousand songs, mm-hmm. just setting somewhere, mm-hmm. uncut gems. A lot of them are sitting there. Same as you. You what? How many? How many you think you have? Like, I'm probably about twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Yeah. We got forty two hundred songs sitting here, mm-hmm. just gems. Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy how many. Not all of them, March. No, not all <laughs> of them, gems. It's crazy though how many they don't songs. Know that. Uh, that people that are just sitting there in publishing companies that people have never heard that have demos that sound better than some masters on the radio. Mm-hmm. One time they were telling me at Sony, because I wrote there for 14 years, they have a huge block of John Prine's catalog sitting there. And it, and I was talking to the guy in the tape room, well, they used to call it the tape mm-hmm. room. I said, man, how many John Prine songs are sitting there no one's heard? He goes, hundreds. I think about that. Yeah, it's it's crazy that. And now he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are priceless songs at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And he was he was all. I don't know why. I don't know because John Prine was an actual artist. Mm-hmm. I don't know why his songs would be sitting anywhere. Why he wouldn't have well, at least cut them. Probably wrote more than he could record himself. Well, yeah, yeah. He just was a writer. He just wrote and wrote and wrote. Yeah, because that's the thing. You're a writer and you write songs. Um, you know. That isn't necessarily you as an artist, but, you know, but, mm-hmm. but they're still, you know, still great songs and just sitting there. There's so many of those mm-hmm. songs that people have never heard. This just. Yep. If money was no option, no problem. There's not a, I wouldn't have any song written that wasn't cut at all. Like for right. my, like myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, if I was you, if I was one of y'all, like every one of them songs would be. Because, cause, you know, y'all are both millionaires, so. Well, uh, well, as soon as I find that million. I know, um, right? 
I I think when I go back and listen to old songs, I'll listen to them. I'm like, man, that's not good. You know, you get better as you if you write and write and write. And and also, like I tell young younger writers, like it says in the Bible, iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you write with better writers than yourself, or or people who are as good as you are, and you're throwing your words up against their words, and the the more you do it, the better you get. Just like in anything that you practice or work at. Uh, you go back and you listen to old stuff and you're like, man, that right there, I could have cut that in half and said it, said more with right. last words. Oh, you know? yeah. Isn't that what Naomi told you to do? She did tell me to do that. And I'll tell you this one time, I'll never forget this as long as I live. The man who really, really uh, put his money where his mouth is on my behalf, too, was a guy named Max D. Barnes. And Max oh, D., yeah. you know, wrote all those great songs, Vern and a lot of other great things he wrote, you know, and, uh, Thank God for the radio. I mean, just tons of huge hits, you know, Storms of Life, Randy Travis. When he, um, he started signing my first songs and giving me a little money to write songs. And anyway, um, one day I remember not too long before he, he passed, I w- went in the Longhorn, which was kind of the songwriter's lunchroom. Yeah. And there he sat at this table by himself and he had a little piece of paper and he was, he was working something looked like a puzzle. And I sat down with him and I said, well, Max D, what are you up to, buddy? And he goes, I'm working on something. I, I've got a, I've got a plan here. And I go, well, what is it? And he goes, I'm trying to write a song with two verses and two courses and a bridge with the least amount of words that I can use. I go, well, have you got it down? He goes, I've got it down to the least amount of words for the song. I go, what are they? And he goes, 17. He had written two verses, two courses wow. and a bridge that had nothing but 17 words in it. And he's, he, he said, I'm just trying to say more with less. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's that right there. You know, and he was, he was up in his sixties. Yeah. You know, what was the song? Seventies. I don't know. I don't think it ever got cut, but yeah. I mean, it was just a little thing he was working on, still working on a master, you yeah. know, working at his craft right there by himself. Cause he wrote a lot of them songs by himself. Uh, who was that? Max D. Barnes. Max D. Barnes. Is that who told you to not write with somebody that was not as that's good as you? One. Mm-hmm. Okay. He said, don't ride with anybody that's not as good as you are or better. And I, I was sitting at his table, and I said, well, Max, I go, you're riding with me. And he goes, mm-hmm. Right. I hadn't had a cut. That was an honor. It was giant. It was a giant honor. He also gave me the treatment, Marty. Let me tell you what the treatment <laughs> was, because I asked somebody about it later. I go, I asked Marty Stewart about it. I go, Marty, did Max D do this to you? He goes, oh, yeah, he does that to everybody. It's the treatment. I go, man, I thought, golly. We got to his, he, he called me after, he said, we're going to ride out at my house. I said, okay. So I got out there and he lived out Hendersonville off Hidden Lake. And his house literally looked like the clamp. It's, it had the cement pond, the whole deal, you know. Well, you go in and he said, and first thing that happens is you step in the front door and there's a table, nothing on it, but his song, but his, you know, his Hall of Fame songwriter award sitting right there. So you're like, oh, 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 that's the first thing you see when you walk in his house. Then he goes, I, he goes, we're going to ride at the kitchen table, but let's go down to the basement first. We'll get something cold to drink down there. I said, oh, I don't need anything. He said, oh, no, let's go downstairs. I went, oh, okay. So we go downstairs to his basement, and I am not lying to you. The ceiling was as tall as this room, and every inch of it was covered with a plaque. I mean, millions of records, so gold. I mean, every inch of it. And this room was probably 20 by 20. Yeah. It, it wasn't nothing but plaques. You could see no wall. Even under the bar, they were on the, I mean, it was everywhere. It was like being in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow. And he goes, let's go upstairs and write. And it was just like, look at who I am. <laughs> Remember who you're sitting with. 
when we get upstairs, there's nothing but that Hall of Fame, you know, his Hall of Fame right, right. award sitting there. And and so I said to Marty, I go, did he do that to you? He goes, oh, yeah. Only he made me sit down there for a little while. <laughs> that way when he throws out a line, you're yeah. like, I really need to think about this. Mm, let's think about this now, son. <laughs> Don't question him. <laughs> when did you write your first song? You remember? It was probably about, mm, so I found a little lyric I'd written when I was a little kid about, Seven. I, I wrote poems when I was a little kid. I was about seven or eight. I wrote a thing about God loves Mama, God loves Daddy, God loves me. I wrote just a little poems I found when I was a kid. But my first song I probably wrote when I was about thirteen or fourteen because that's when I got my first guitar. My daughter wrote a song when she was five years old. Real simple song, and she was just right, running through the house and singing, "Jesus, you hold me up." And I was like, "What are you saying?" And she just kept repeating that. And I said, what are you saying? And she told me, I said, what did you hear that? She goes, I just came up with it. And I said, you wrote that? I was very pleased Mm -hmm. that a five-year-old said that. So someday I'm going to finish that song Mm -hmm. and uh, just say she wrote it all. I'm going to lie. Well, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah. kids now understand about writing because Taylor Taylor Swift, man. Little kids understand about writing songs. We didn't know about writing songs when we were little kids. You know, the, you could do that as a living. But Taylor Swift, man, she changed the game. Well, she didn't know anything about Taylor Swift, but because uh, we only listened, at that point, she only listened to uh, gospel music, mm-hmm. you know, like Mahalia Jackson and mm-hmm. things like that, because that's kind of what I grew up on. So I raised her on the same thing, that mm-hmm. type of thing. But uh, she now she's definitely she definitely knows who Taylor Swift is now. Um, you did you always want to be an artist, or was it? I mean, not not an art, but country artist, or did you want to be a gospel artist? I want to be a country artist. When I was a little kid, uh, I remember, and this is I have a picture of this. My sister and I, my mother had one of those um, stereos that with the double lid on, you know, the lid on that you lift up, and the stereos inside it, right? Like oh yeah, yeah, French provincial. And uh, so Jeannie, my little sister, we had to get up just on a little stool. So one of us would hold the lid up while the other one put the needle back on Dolly and Porter, baby, the duets. <laughs> and so because um, we liked that record because there was a song called Little Jeannie's Afraid of the Dark. Do you remember that song, Dolly and Porter? It's oh, about man. a little baby that dies and her name's Jeannie. And oh, all. Really? my sister's name was Jeannie. We're little Jeannie's Afraid of the Dark. Anyway, um, we'd play that record over and over. And, uh, you know, the other ones that Mama had, the country records and um my little sister said something about being a mama one day or something, and I said, I'm not going to be a mama. I'm not having any kids. I'm going to be a country western singer. I was had a hairbrush I was singing into, and I told my mother, I said, I'm going to be a country western singer, and that's what I am. Son of a gun, just like I, that. I was about six. Six years old. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, or don't be careful. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Because it happened. I'm just saying, I, I think I had a – I understood what I was back then – Early on, and I never was scared of it. Was I, you? I was kind of scared to come here to Nashville. No. Do you miss Texas? Uh, every day. Why don't you go back? Uh, can you make a living doing this in Texas? I don't. No. It seems like you could. Go ask them boys. They're all trying to get up here as quick as they can. Yeah, I know. I, heard, I thought I thought Austin, Texas, was now you talking about a different place. cat? You talking about a different cat? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, I mean that that's not. I don't like Austin. cats. <laughs> Austin I'm a dog music. What's coming out of Austin is not is completely different than what we do up here and what the bulk of country music is. That it's completely different. You don't like it. I can hear it's some disdain in your like voice. It. It's not that I don't like it. It's just not it's just not what I do. And and so I I mean I I 
I think some of those guys are great down there, but I don't. It's not what I do. So you ever heard the song Snake Farm? Uh, no, I have not. You should give it a listen. I will tell you this: there's a great writer named Bruce Robeson. Yeah. Oh yeah, Bruce. he's great. He's great. I was down in Austin writing with him one time, and um, I said I was sitting there, and he looked at me, and he goes, "You think about coming down here, aren't you?" And I, I, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, yeah." And he goes, "Mm." He said, "You better stay where you are." And I said, uh, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." He gave me really good advice because. He knew where I was in my career and what was going on, and he knew what it was down down there. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said, we're working. We The work is so much harder down there for less money than what yeah. we do here if you are able to hit a lick in Nashville. Right. Yeah, but wasn't Willie, isn't Willie the epitome of Texas country mm-hmm. music? But that was a different time. Mm-hmm. Those boys invented Invented what that what that genre of music sounded like. They invented it, Waylon and and uh, Willie and those guys and Jerry Jeff and all them. Right. They invented all that stuff. I mean, it wasn't that had never been before. But what I'm saying is that right there is when people think of country music, they think of Willie and Waylon and people like that mm-hmm. too, but along when, with Johnny Cash and and others. But when Will, Willie and Waylon those guys broke out, they were. Um, Country music was Jim Reeves and those guys, and they were like, "That's not country." But when Jim yeah. Reeves and those guys broke out, country music was like Jimmy Rogers and those guys, and they were like, "That's not country." So I mean, it's always been that's not country kind of stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Willie and those guys, they they um they were the original outlaws, and in my mind, the only outlaws. I think everybody else that's been call herself an outlaw, they're just, just playing. They're posers, man. Well, they lived the life. Yeah, it, they did. it wasn't it wasn't something that they put on an album cover. They didn't just go to buy say, outlaw clothes. No, they did they didn't you know, people uh, it, it was just who they were. Right. And they sang songs that that were them as a person right. a, as well as them as an artist. Someone didn't tell them to sing those songs. You're exactly right. That's for me. That's the big difference. Is nowadays you have there's a whole, especially if it's you know if it's somebody on a major label, someone is telling them to sing those songs. Mm-hmm. It's and it's a and there's I'm not gonna mention any names, but there's there's a bunch of acts that were told to put out a certain kind of song, and they become that. Mm-hmm. Back then, you they became that because that was who they were. They became that because they wouldn't do what they were doing. Exactly that because it, that right. was the only thing they could do, mm-hmm. and and it caught and it just so happened that it was something that uh, the rest of the country caught on to, and it and it come off as so authentic because it was. Mm-hmm. Willie actually became that because he had no choice. Nashville rejected Willie Nelson. I know that because Jim Vest, who's a friend of him, you know Jim Vest. I don't Hall still, of Fame steel guitar still player. Really. I might know him in passing. He produced uh, Tracy Lawrence's first albums with Sticks and Stones, whatnot. But anyway, Jim and Willie were very close. And G- Willie would come and see Jim, Tennessee Fat Cats. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was Jim's band. And uh, Willie and them would come in there and see him. And Willie, said, Willie came in. He said, Willie came in one night and he was sitting there depressed and. He come. He said, "What's wrong with you, Willie?" And he said, uh, "He said I just can't make it here." He said, I'm, "I think I'm gonna pack up and move to Texas." He said, "Well, don't do that, Willie." He said, "He said they they just don't understand what they're missing out on, you know." But he said Willie did it. 
And mm-hmm. so Willie was kind of because you know at first Willie was shaving, clean shaving, and looked like like they wanted him to look. But anyway, the point is that I don't know if country music to me this is my opinion. I don't know if country music or any genre music is geographically only made in one place. Is what I'm saying. Well, no, because because look at Bakersfield. Exactly. Haggard and those guys and Dwight and all those cats yeah. out there and Buck. Buck Owens. I mean, those guys, they did what they wanted to do. Who would have thought? California. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. I know I wouldn't have thought it. Me either. Would you play us a little bit of uh, that song you did with Willie, for Willie, you wrote for Willie? Mm, I will. Let's see. You ain't got to play the whole thing, but I, I just would love to hear a little bit. I don't know if Chris has heard it. You heard it? Mm-hmm. What do you do with the sands of time When they carve out lines around your eyes You can close your fists up good and tight But you can't hold back the sands of time What do you do with a memory That just hangs around and stares at me I could tear that frame down off the wall But I can't erase the things I saw Oh, night and day Night and day You remain You remain Man, that's good. I love that. Thank you. That's a good song. You know what's, you know what's funny is, is I've known Leslie for a long time, 20 years. I didn't know you wrote that song. Oh. I love, I've always loved that song, but I, I didn't know you wrote it. Thank I've you. never I heard it. And Don Portress. I love Don, too. I never heard it, but I'm glad I heard it now. Thank you. Because, uh, which I mean, I heard it before this, but when I heard it, I was like, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. When you when you first got here, your first ever demo was actually done in one of those little studios in a mall. Yeah, Barbara Mand- Barbara Mandrell Country, down there yeah. on the, across from the big statue, you know, down on Music Row. Now there used to be a hotel there on that corner. I can't think what it was now, or Shoney's and all that business. And Barbara Mandrell, oh Barbara Mandrell Country, her museum was there on that corner. Yeah, oh yeah, on that point. Yeah, in the that's back right. of it, at the back of that museum, there was a little shop there, and you could go in. And for $10, you could put your voice on a track of a hit. So, of course, I did, you know, what every girl, let me have crazy. I did crazy (laughs) and don't make your brown eyes blue, my brown eyes blue, and of all those ones, you know, that every girl wanted to sing. And so um, I did those uh, at $10 a pop. And I had come into town. I had $200 with me in cash. And by the end of the day, I had like 30 bucks left because I'd done as many as I could because I was like, what is this reverb thing? This is amazing. I'd never heard myself with reverb. And so, it, you started taking those around to oh, labels? Man, I took them to Jerry Crutchfield's office. Yeah. I thought, this is it, dude. I am here. Move over. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. Come on. I, I, my friend from Paris, that where I'm from, uh, he was the guitar player on Papa Top. He was the guy who played that lick and uh, or something on that that record. Anyhow. He knew Jerry Crutchfield. He he got me a, you know, where I could get in to see Crutchfield. And that at that time he was, you know, he was king because he was producing Tanya. Mm. And so I thought, that's it, buddy. Hello. And she's from my 
area, my neck of the woods in Texas. So I went down there and I took the about six of them. I went, here you go. And I gave them to his secretary. And so years later, I asked Crutch, I go, I go, man, what'd your secretary do with those those cassettes people brought in? He said, well, I had a trash can full of them. <laughs> I go, I know she slid those suckers right off as soon as I left. Mm-hmm. I, never did. I didn't even get to see him, I don't think. But we he he was a friend of mine later on and such a sweetheart, Jerry Crutchfield. You know, Chris has a similar story about his, <laughs> his first. Yeah. yeah, he kind of did the same thing, only. Yeah. Yeah, pull up, your, pull up your first cassette mixtape. Oh, no, have you got it? Oh, well, he's got a picture of it. He's got a picture of it. Oh, man, let me tell you. I posted it on our Instagram, on my yeah, Instagram thanks today. for that, by the way. Uh, thanks for uh, posting a this very is, flattering it, Tell me your first thought when you see this cover, <laughs> okay. Leslie. Okay, let's You see. did this yourself, Now, Chris? keep in mind, Chris would lean these on the outside of the record exec's window. Well, here's the thing. Every time mm-hmm. uh, every time I could come to town, I was working 60 hours a week in a 60? factory. In a factory. What kind of factory? In East Tennessee. So, I used to come and and um and i would only time i could come to nashville is when it was either a holiday Mm -hmm. or a weekend and nobody was there on music row and i used to go and i used to go around and try to find the um try to find the the biggest um offices i could find on music row and I'd set this cassette tape on the outside of the window. Look at you. Uh, you, you have, man. You have sort of a different vibe. Chris. I got a little different vibe. I am Juan Valdez's illegitimate child. She I don't said, know if you knew that or not. She said you have sort of a different vibe. Oh, it's a that different vibe. mariachi band. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's you know, it does you know what Buddy Cannon told me? I sent this to Buddy Cannon. I said, I said, hey, I I'm looking for a record deal. <laughs> and he sent back, uh, he says, impeccable hand placement. <laughs> I was like, man, you I just right. look at that. It just kills. I just look that at that sometimes. so sweet. I have that on my phone, too. And when I'm feeling down. You look at it. I look at that. <laughs> and it brings me right back up. But I used to set it on the outside of the window where it was staring at them. Mm. And they had to go send somebody all the way <laughs> to out get to get it. Can you imagine going into your office, Leslie, and there's a guy... <laughs> Leaning on your window, I would play music for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Man. You know, uh, a friend of mine, they were talking about old school people that think things that used to, and I can't think of the guy's name. He wrote, uh, he wrote, oh, what is the name of him? This guy was a real famous writer. He was married to Lynn Anderson. What was his name? Do you remember talking about Chris? Uh, he, he wrote, uh, uh, Oh, I can't think of it. Anyway, he he was going around and talking about leaning that on a window like that. He had wanted Charlie Pride to cut something of his, and they were like, nope. He was up in the UA Tower recording, and they were like, no, you can't go up to see Charlie Pride or whatever. And he goes, hmm, okay. So old boy rented a cherry picker, and he and I'm driving <laughs> oh my down there, gosh. and they lifted him up. Glenn Sutton. The songwriter, Glenn Sutton. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was crazy. He got in the cherry picker and he had this cassette. It, I remember hearing that they story. They lifted him up. <laughs> said Charlie was standing in the in the booth. And the, you, right behind him in the glass, here comes Glenn Sutton <laughs> in the cherry picker. And he goes, ding, ding, ding. He goes, I'm taking this to Glenn Campbell down the road. Glenn Campbell, if you don't let me in. And they were like. All right, let him in. I heard about that, and he cut Charlie cut the song. You know what's so funny is I heard about that because I was our office Corley Music Group. 
um, was in the UA Tower, mm-hmm. and I remember them telling that story. That dude was crazy. He did all kinds of weird stuff like that. He lifted. <laughs> There's a few stories like like uh, who was it? Um, was it um, a Chris Christopherson that that, uh, that got a helicopter mm-hmm. and. Sunday morning coming down. He had a song. He had a song, and he uh, who was it? Cash. It was, it was Johnny Cash. He dropped it and in he, his yard, and he got a helicopter and landed in his yard and mm-hmm. and and gave Sunday it. Sunday morning coming down. That song. Now that is persistence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That is how you get a song. A song yeah, cut. You did back then. That's how you get shot now. Yeah, I know, right? But. But yeah, man, they cancel the helicopter. <laughs> I, had already... I mean, there's some characters, man. I mean, that's uh, that's some characters. They don't make characters. Helicopter Ooh, landing in Johnny Cash. You know, Johnny Can you Cash. Imagine to do that today. Mm-hmm. Oh, you get shot. Johnny Cash was a really good man. That's another person that Jim was uh, friends with. He, you know, he used to live on the lake mm-hmm. in Hendersonville, mm-hmm. and Jim said he would bring his boat by there, and he would always uh, call Johnny and say, "Hey." I'm bringing the because Jim would have kids on the boat, some less fortunate children, and he would give them a ride on the boat there. And then he, he'd say, "That's Johnny Cash's house," and he would tell Johnny to come out and wave at them. And every he said, "Never, never was there a time Johnny didn't come out and wave at the boys or the yeah. kids, whatever." Right, right. Every time. And I thought, and then you know, hearing about Ira living oh, with yeah. him for a while, <laughs> and and there's like there's like several of those stories. It's not just Ira. There's several no, of those stories no. of him letting people live with him. Just Random folks. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish that I could have lived with him. Just tell people that you live with. Him. I think I, <laughs> I get away with it. Just tell. Uh, just uh, Heidi Newfield, my friend Heidi Newfield from Trick Pony. She went down to Jamaica with with Cash and June and stayed with them for a little in their house down there. Yeah. She said, "Boy, you ought to get up in the morning and you know see Johnny Cash sitting at the breakfast table having coffee." She said that was an mm-hmm. experience. Mm. Did you ever? Write a song for Johnny? No, I, no, Lord, no. I was too scared. But I will tell you my Johnny Cash story because it's an awesome one. I went to Christchurch for many years, and on Sunday nights they would close off the balcony and they asked people not to sit up there, just sit, you know, downstairs on the main floor because there wasn't that many people on Sunday nights. And one Sunday night we were sitting in the choir loft, and I told the lady next to me, I said, "There's a man sitting up in the balcony under that one can light that's turned on." I said. Look at him up there. I go, he's got a great big Bible spread out on his knees, and he's reading that Bible. I said, he looks like God sitting up there. I said, who is that? She goes, I don't say nothing. I go, who is that? She goes, that's Johnny Cash. And I said, what's he doing up there? And she said, oh, they, they bother him if he comes down here. She said, he sits up there by himself. He was sitting up in that balcony with his big old Bible spread on his lap. It was like, holy cow. That was a sight right there in the wow. balcony by himself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of depressing that he was that lonely. Well, I mean, and he couldn't come down and congregate was, because oh, the people no, they, would. Yeah. Oh, they just tugged at him. So I know. Well, sure. Yeah. That's got to get annoying, man. After a while, mm-hmm. somebody asked me one time, and they said, uh, "Do you ever want to? Do you want to be as big as Elvis or something like that?" And I was like, "No, I don't want to be that big because I don't want to be able. To, I would never want to not be able to go anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's where Johnny Cash was. Mm-hmm. And not even. I mean, the whole world. He, he could. The people knew him and. In uh, England, in Japan, I, everywhere. I know. I know how he feels. Let I me mean, tell you this you know. great story. I know. Let me tell you this great story. <laughs> you were talking about Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and all that. Um, one time, Mickey Raphael told me this story. So I know it's a true story. He said that they were in. He said, we were talking about. He said, you want to. Talk? I said, what was it like to travel with the highwaymen? 
you know, four iconic human beings like that. At one time he goes, yeah, they were iconic. He said, but nobody's, nobody's Willie, not even cash. And I went, really? And I go, I go, how, how so? And he said, we were in Ireland one time. He said they were in Northern Ireland. And he said, we were traveling through and he said, literally the IRA pulled the bus over and just like pulled the buses over, you know, pull over. And he said, they boarded the bus with, you know, automatic weapons. And he said, I'm thinking, this is where I die in Ireland. You know, these guys are about to kill us dead. And he said, all those guys were sitting in the booth on John, on Willie's bus playing poker. And he said, Willie had his back to him. And he said, Johnny Cash and Christopherson are facing the front of the bus. And he said, they're in there like, get off the bus, get off the bus, everybody get off the bus. And he said, Willie, he said, I'm sitting there frozen on the bench seat. And he said, Willie turns around and looked at him. He said, what's the problem, boys? And they all went, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson. Oh, get off, get off, get off the bus. Everybody, all the, all the troops off, you know, all this stuff. And he said, they wanted autographs and all this stuff. He said, not Cash, not Waylon, not, not Chris. It was Willie. They said, when Willie turned around, they were like, Willie Nelson. They were completely starstruck. He said, wow. think about that. You know, the power of Willie Nelson. Wow. You know? That is peculiar because, but I, I wouldn't say Willie's bigger than Cash just by in, just because like when you, if you ask somebody that doesn't listen to country, if you say, who do you know in country music? They usually say Cash because Cash, I, you know, they, there's people that actually wear Johnny Cash on their t-shirt of him flipping off hmm. cameras and stuff like yeah, that. That's recently. That's in the last 20 years. <laughs> Right, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. they don't even they they they. It's, I'm talking about young people. Even mm-hmm. they don't they don't listen to country music, but they'll wear Johnny Cash on their T-shirt because it's like a sign of rebellion. Right, right. So I'm just saying, as far as he, but as far as country, he everybody might have known Willie better, you know. But as I think across the whole world, everybody knew Cash like Elvis. I think I don't know. I, I've never Possibly. done a story a study on that. But anyway. Tell us a little bit about how you talked your way into Texas A&M Man, my and friends, how that happened. My friends were going to school down there, and I was—I didn't know what I wanted to do because I, I knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't know how to do it. So I thought, well, they're all going to A&M. I better go down there, too. And when I got down there, I didn't have the GPA to get in. I only had it like a 3.2 or something. Like you had to have 3.4 or something to get in A&M. So I said, isn't there somebody I can talk to? And this guy goes, well, you could talk to the dean of the— I was going to go into architecture school because I thought that'd be a smart thing. And um, I said, can I talk to the guy? And they said, well, yeah. And I went in. I said, look, mister, just let me in. I said, I'll do everything I can. I'll work hard. I'm, I've come down here. I'm, I'm going to, I already have a place to live. And da, 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 da. I'm nearly, I've nearly got the GPA. I'm just one point off of it. And I said, look at, you know, here's my drawings I've done. And, you know, because I was a big drafting student at, in high school and I loved it, loved drafting and everything. And he said, well, okay, I'll give you a shot. So he let me in. I promised him I'd stay and do good and everything. I didn't stay. I didn't mm. do good. I <laughs> Did you ever see the guy again? No. But, man, he didn't tell me about calculus. Mm. Man. I mean, I can draw a bridge, but figure out how to make one stand up, that mm. is hard. Yeah. Well, I hit calculus. I was like, what is this noise? Mm-mm. And then you left college and then started singing harmony for Dolly Parton. 
Well, I just sang Harmony one time for her, a couple times. Not, It wasn't like she was calling me up going, Leslie, get over here. It was every I album. Was in the choir. Every song. <laughs> they the don't choir. know that, Leslie. I was in the yeah. choir at Christchurch, and they, uh, uh, Ricky Skaggs actually hired us to sing on that. He's alive. Uh, remember when she put oh, that out? Oh, man, I remember so that. The choir came and sang on that. My sister was in it, too. And they, they pulled a little handful of us out, about 20 of us out. The choir, 200 members, you know, so they pulled about 20, 25 of us out to do the TV show. And so I got to sing on that part, and, and I got to sing in the studio, actually, when we recorded it. And so that actually was good for me because I was every time I was just about ready to get up, ready to go home and give up, something like that would happen where I'd be like, oh, I better stay. Now I'm on Dolly right, Parton's right. record. You know, <laughs> my name's not on there, but it doesn't matter. I was on there. Man. And maybe the name was on there. I don't know. Anyway, might have been. been, but every time I got ready to pull out, the Lord mm-hmm. would, the Lord would, favor me with some little thing that caused me to go okay i'll stick it out right mm-hmm. right and he still does that yeah when did you when what was the time that you said i'm a i'm actually a songwriter now i'm a professional i'm a, I'm a, i made it mm, i was writing with max t barnes who was max d's son and uh he would write with me every evening when i got off work at the i worked for a record label a christian record label when I get off at five o'clock in Brentwood, I drive up to Music Row and, and we'd write till five, you know, till six or seven o'clock at night. And every morning we'd lay a new song on the publisher's desk, Islandbound Music, a girl named Julie Daniels. And um, they got one of those songs on hold for this new act called Jody Messina. Mm. And when that thing got on hold, I was like, that's it. I'm a songwriter. Let's go. And um, they gave me a publishing deal. Because I was about to get a song cut and I didn't have, and I own my own publishing. They were like, oh, 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 how about this? So, <laughs> yeah. um, like a little publishing deal and, and got that song cut. And that's when I kind of started off. Actually, my first song was, was with Susie Luxinger and Austin Cunningham. I wrote it with Austin Cunningham. Susie oh, Luxinger's Reba's sister. And she was cutting a country gospel record. And we wrote a song together. And that was my very first cut, Susie Luxinger. I hooked up with old Austin when I was up in uh, uh, McKinney, Texas, a few mm-hmm. years ago. Great guy. Mm-hmm. He moved home. Yeah. Hmm. I've, ne- I've never heard of the Susie what? Susie Luxinger. She's Reba's sister. Really? Yeah, she does Cowboy Church now. That's what she does. She goes all over the country doing doing music for Cowboy Church. Her husband is in, big involved in that. Her name's not uh, McIntyre. So Reba McIntyre's name's not really McIntyre? Well, no, her, she, that was her married name. Her married oh, name was Luxinger. I don't know, I'm not see. sure she's married to that guy anymore. I don't know what her last name is now, but her name was Susie McIntyre till she married that cat. Hmm. You remember Reba's brother was here too, Pake McIntyre? He had a lick. He had Seems a like I do lids. remember that. Yeah. All those McIntyres give it a run. I didn't know that. But only Reba stuck. Yeah, she did, boy. I tell you, she's still sticking. Yes, yeah. she is. Oh man, she's yeah. a smart little, smart little character. You mentioned uh, earlier. You mentioned uh, talking about. People saying, well, that's not country, this is not country, right? Mm-hmm. I had a, a, a debate with Jim one time. Jim and Razzie Bailey. You know who Razzie Bailey is? I do. I love Razzie Bailey. Yeah. So, because I always told Jim, because Jim would say, this country music today, it ain't country. Jim who? Jim Vest. Okay. And I said, uh, I said, Jim, you realize that every generation says that about yes. the new generation. He goes, no, this ain't real country. And I go, well, it is because this is what country music is today. And he says, that ain't real country. So then in the middle of this conversation, Razzie Bailey starts telling his story about his his journey and how he had started doing country music. And Marty, Stu- Marty uh, Robbins said that 
that he said he didn't like that. He said he started saying Marty Marty Robbins didn't like him and didn't like the music he was doing. Said that he wasn't doing real country. And he well, tells all this thing, and he I wasn't gunfighter ballads. So then, yeah. <laughs> so then, as they're talking, and Jim's Jim saying, yeah, he had this, and because Jim knew Marty Robbins, and he told a story about how he would always poke at him because he was a. I guess a small guy. So uh, Jim would uh, poke at him and because and, nobody else would or something like that. But anyway, um, as they're talking, I said, well, you hear what you say right there. Marty Robbins did the same thing to your music mm-hmm. that you that you do to everybody else's after you. And Jim, Jim was like, no, no, that ain't the same thing. I said, <laughs> it, is too. it sounds exactly like the same thing. <laughs> so I've always been that because I know even myself, I'll say, I used to say this, and then I started realizing it just is as it becomes because the young people kind of determine, for the most part, what a genre is. Like rap music. Like I used to listen to rap when I was growing up. But if you, if I, like if when they, this new rap, I would have never listened to back then. I wouldn't listen to it now. And I think that's not real rap. But in, in truth, it is because that's what they listen to now. Yeah. And I don't listen to it anymore. So, you know what I mean? Anyway, the point is that I wanted to bring that up. I'm glad you you said that because we agree on that it is what – I think we agree on that. We do. It happens in all forms of creative things, all art, painting. I mean, look at the – like the Impressionist guys, the, the you know, the people who loved Rembrandt and them said, oh, that Monet stuff, that's not real painting. Well – one just sold for three hundred million dollars. I guess it mm-hmm. is. You know what I'm saying? Right. Every everything evolves like that, and then they would say that you know the new abstract artist that that's not real. Well, yes, it is. I mean, it's just it's their real. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's kind of like the bro country stuff. That's their real. That's exactly what I say. That's exactly why I say. Like Monet was the first person to do like impressionism or whatever you know what i mean so nobody had done that so of course it wasn't real to them right because that wasn't what was being done they invented something that's right so i don't see what's wrong with that but anyway the point is i like what you did with your first big checks you went and started paying off your family's credit cards we paid off every credit card and we cut them up put them in a mason jar and put them up over the <laughs> uh, refrigerator so that if anybody decided they were going to open a credit card we i'd open it up show them that jar look look at these <laughs> and they were like no it's, it's a graveyard credit yeah, card gra- you graveyard you're not kidding buddy and it stopped us from opening credit cards it, we we had to live on them till we made it you know but and thank god for them because we wouldn't have been able to make it but after we could pay them off that was and you fun. also bought a cadillac from mama and it was a white, what was it? It was a white, it was a Coupe de Ville. It was a, is that the big four-door one? I can forget which one, what it is. But anyways, big old white Cadillac we drove up out there. And <laughs> I told Mama, I told that guy out there, I said, that guy still still hits me up on Facebook that sold me that car. Older gentleman, he's real sweet. He goes, I said, now, mister, I've got $8,500. I'm fixing to buy a Cadillac today and pay cash. What have you got out here that fits in that budget? He goes, I've got three. I go, let's look at them. And what, I told, what year was it? Oh, it was like a... Mm, See, like it must have been about a '98 or something like that. It was a little bit, old, you know, it was a couple years old. So, and that was that would have been probably like 2000 something like that. Anyway, um, Mama was crying. She goes, "Don't do this, Leslie. Don't do this." And I go, "Mama, we're buying a Cadillac. Damn, buying you a Cadillac today. Don't do it. Don't do it." <laughs> I said, "You better show me the Cadillacs." Which Billy, his guy's name is Billy Armour. I go, "Billy, show me the ones that'll I can buy for eighty five hundred dollars." 
He goes, well, that white right there and that right there. I goes, don't do this. Leslie. I like the white one. She said, please don't do it. That white one's nice. That's, exactly what she said. That's she goes, really nice. Don't do this. Is that leather? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, no. Does it have leather, though? That's exactly, that's exactly how it went down. She said, don't do that's, it. I'll take the white one. That's me, too, man. I Leslie, don't do that. Uh, yeah, GMC Denali would be nice. <laughs> Is it is it four wheel drive? <laughs> you know what I mean? Now she t- she puts stuff. And Mama wants something. She make, she gets a picture of it. Puts it in her Bible. So the other day she was talking to my husband. She said I got a new picture in my Bible. And I went, Oh Lord. Uh oh. I said, What's back there, Mama? Don't even show me. She goes, I got two pictures. I got the same car, two different colors. I said, What have you got? She goes, I like that Maserati. And I went, Mama. Oh wow. And she Whoa. goes, She wants a Maserati. She goes, I like that Maserati. And she, I said, Well, what colors have you got in your Bible? She goes, I got a red one and a black one. I'm letting the Lord pick out the color. Man, <laughs> wow! Dude, just red and she black. Put stuff in her Bible; it comes true. You know, wow. I don't like the Maserati. I call it the devil's car because <laughs> it's got a pitchfork as the logo. <laughs> it's a crown. Mama says it's a. Crown. Is that what she said? Man, well, we gonna listen to Mama because <laughs> that's my she grandmama. In her Bible, it's done. She come at me one time several years back, and she had this leather. Uh, laptop case when laptops were just first coming out she had this beautiful leather laptop case and i said mama what do you do she said well i bought that at the tj maxx she goes uh, it's a laptop case i go well you, you don't have a laptop mama she goes i'm gonna have one and i went no I, I said mom those things are so expensive i said we can't afford a laptop and she goes well i've got the case when it gets here well come around christmas about that time i'd started having hits you know and so my sister was saying what are we gonna do for mama for christmas i said well she's got a laptop case we might as well get the laptop <laughs> so we bought a laptop she's uh, she unwrapped it she said i told you i was getting a laptop <laughs> your mama was kind of the, uh, the the mother of manifestation buddy she when she believes it and starts praying on it you better get your maserati shed built. <laughs> well you know, listen you know that's what faith is that's how she's got it. That's what I'm saying. That's what what is she's she lived on faith her whole life. Believing without my dad was like my dad. He he had, he had the faith of a lion. I mean, just you know. So do you, Chris? Look at yeah. you. Look at all three of us. There's people who who've done what we've done, and they've already packed up and gone home. And here we still sit. That's only reason you can do that is because of faith. The reinvention of what we're doing, how we're all yeah. reinventing. Oh, yeah. That's because you have faith that you have a gift that God gave you. You have the talent to carry it out, and you're not dead. So he still has a purpose for you and a reason for you. So if, if we need to reinvent ourselves to deliver our talent, then we're doing it. Amen. Son of a gun. Amen. Preaching to the choir. That's what I know, right? I love that. I'm going to use that as a clip and play it in my phone as a ringtone. Okay. I am. You don't mind, do you? Pep yourself up every dollars. It'll cost I, you $5. <laughs> She's reinventing it herself. Okay. She's making ringtones now. Yeah. Don't 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 put me in y'all's category. Y'all are actually, you know, legends. I'm not. But oh, maybe one shit. day. Uh, no. I'm talking about a man with a million a followers. Legend that don't, is a big word. I ain't had one... I've never had one song on a Billboard chart. I've never had anybody cut any of my songs. The day ain't over, son. Listen to you. I, but, you know, the thing is I ain't trying to no. get anybody to well, cut any of my songs. Well, but well, That's generally when it happens. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing about it is, though, Marty, is, is, is what you've done is you went straight to the people. Marty has 1.2 million followers, 200 million views. We love Marty. You know, so it's like it's people. You know what? You know what's funny is that when I started uh, hanging out with Marty, especially anywhere in Nashville, 
I could, you know, when my brothers would come down, people would come up to you, especially when I was having you know, having a bunch of hits. People, would, oh, that's uh, are you Chris Wallen? Come up and they they'd say people know you. I said, yeah, they know me here mm-hmm. in Nashville. What's funny is when I go with Marty. People don't come up to me. They come up to Marty. Man, I love your stuff. I love your music. I'm like, like oh, that. oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a song. No, nothing. Okay, yeah. I wrote, no, no, okay. Like one of the biggest songs of all time. That's not That's not always true. Like, we'll we'll no, sit but, somewhere. No, but usually, it, it, I, and I think it's amazing. You know, it, it's great, but it's like, it's just a different, it's a different way to go about it. And I, I, I applaud Marty all the time about well, it. I, I love I mean, that. We just talking about, like we were talking about Willie and all them. Remember, Willie played bass for Ray Price. I didn't know that. Yeah, Ray Price. Imagine that. So, I mean, he was traveling with Ray Price, and and, he, and then he's getting songs cut on Ray Price. And then all of a sudden, he's got to go, you know, he's got to go do his own thing. There were people who would come up and, don't you know, that, that they would pass, pass Ray Price and go, you're Willie Nelson. And, and Willie would be like, I used to be on his payroll. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, it's yeah. Like, it, 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 it's just... He was reinventing himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's crazy that he played bass. Mm-hmm. I can't even picture right. Willie playing bass. He did. That's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. That's something else. It's it's funny how life works. Yep. Willie was supposed to be on this show when when because we started. I started this show with uh, Jim, mm-hmm. and then uh, COVID happened, and Jim, his wife wouldn't let him see people at all anymore. Yeah. So, but while that's sad, it also made Chris and I become really close friends and and the dynamic of the show actually changed because mm-hmm. uh, with Jim uh he knows everybody b- that is but he knows a lot of people that are from the older school like you know he was in right. the Johnny Paycheck days and right mm-hmm. right yeah those days so he and and I love those people and it's not that but him and Willie he was actually talking to Willie about being on the show I need to reach out to him I don't want to be like I would hate to be like, hey, Jim, remember when you was talking to Willie about being on the show? Could you get him on the show? <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. I would feel bad. I, mean, he, I don't think he cares, but I'm sure he doesn't care. I think it was more of a nuisance to him than anything. He was just helping me out, mm-hmm. so to speak. But uh, tell us, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, the divine help that you had with Troubadour. I found that interesting. Well, Troubadour, it, it, it was – Tony Brown has been a friend of mine for a long time, for years and years. He's recorded my songs, and then I worked with, um, I've done some harmony work on stuff that Vince has recorded that we wrote, that Tony produced, you know, so I've worked in the studio for Tony and with him, and then he's come at me wanting songs for other people. And I was there to pitch songs to Tony for Brooks and Dunn. Mm. Uh, and I had gone over to his office. He was over in the in the Starstruck building. And I was over there playing for him, and I believe it's Starstruck. And and um, he, he Tony tell you straight up, you know, oh, none of them, no, 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 no. He goes, <laughs> I I need something for for straight. Everybody thinks he's retiring. Write me something for straight. He's not retiring. And I said, okay, what do you want? And he said, I, you know, he's he's still at it. He's still young. He don't he, he's not retiring. I need something like that. Listen, I went okay. I just say yes, you know. I mean, don't don't right. don't kick a gift horse in oh, the mouth. No. I said yes, I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I was writing for the first time with Monty Holmes, the great Monty Holmes, who's written love Monty. so many of those great songs that he he you know I think she still loves me. I don't think she likes me anymore. He wrote yeah. that for mm-hmm. straight and a bunch of other great stuff. And and I I told him what what uh, 
Tony had said, and he goes, well, and Don, uh, Monty smoked these little Swisher Sweet cigars, you know, and he's all kicked back in the writing room at Sony. What are we going to write? And I said, you know, uh, let's see. Let's see. I said, I had a guitar, and I was just in there, and I said, I still feel 25 most of the time. Monty goes, I still raise a little cane with the boys. I said, honky tonks on city limits. And Monty goes, hey, I'm still right there, you know, singing above the crowd and the noise. And we got right there. We were just stopped, and we were just sitting there. And he goes, what are we going to do now? <laughs> what are we going to do? And I said, well, and I swear to you, and I, just right in my ear like I'm talking to y'all, I just heard Troubadour. And I knew that Strait is a big Texas Troubadour fan, Ernest Tubb. Right, and I right. said, hey, Monty, I said, how do you feel about the word Troubadour? He goes, I love Troubadour. <laughs> and he said, sometimes I feel like Jesse James. And I said, still trying to make a name, knowing nothing's going to change what I am. Monty said, I was a young Troubadour when I wrote in on a song. I'll be an old Troubadour when I'm gone. It's like that. I mean, we wrote it line what for line. What a great song. We were done in 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah, man. 15 minutes, that song took. Not, and I'm not saying it to be bragging. I'm saying that song was a gift from heaven, and you just try to stay out of the way when songs like that come to you. You know how that is, Chris, and you know as well as a songwriter. When, you, when you're when you getting on something that God has given you, if you just put the pencil down on the paper and get to writing and don't get in his way, you know, you'll get a great song like that. So. I always say God honors effort. And he really does. If yes, you put forth the effort, he'll whisper in your ear. See, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know they they talk about the Bible talks about a still small voice, and if you think about that, that's really a whisper. And why is it a whisper? Because you got to get close mm-hmm. to hear it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were close enough to hear the troubadour whisper. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the song I, I never was a fan of George Strait's troubadour, but I like yours. I, I love oh, the way you, you do it. <laughs> That's the truth. I've never really been a big George Strait fan, to be honest with you. Sorry to hear it. And I, <laughs> and I, I'm just being honest. You know, we're open here. Son, have you listened to his records? I have. I mean, old school. Have you gone back? I, I just have never. Del Rey and all that. Amarillo by morning. I'm sorry. Oh man. You may say I'm a fan. No, you need counseling. I do. Uh, we need to I'm say. Not. Listen. Counseling. I'll tell you why. I had a counseling. I had a. I had a uh, I had a kind of some disdain for the for them calling him King of Country because, like I said, Garth Brooks is the one at twelve years old. I didn't listen to country music. Garth Brooks growing up straight is the King of. Country. I understand, but Garth Brooks is to me, and I think he should be because he's he's the biggest name there. He sold more records than any other solo artist in the world. It didn't in the whole in the whole world. I, I love Garth. I, I, I do know too. him personally. I love him personally, but he ain't the king of country. I think so, though. Well, the thing about it is, I go, uh, one thing I will say about Garth himself. about him selling all those. Everybody knows that the if you take those songs and melt them down into just ten song albums, he hasn't sold. Uh, he sold a bunch of uh, a lot of the same songs. He's a Ooh. he's a genius. He is a a business genius mm-hmm. because he'll go, he'll do a, a, which, you know, I have, 
I had two songs uh, a few years ago with him. I got just got two new cuts from his triple live album, and that's exactly what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where he, he recuts the same songs over and over and over and over again. That's the reason it's always great to have a Garth Brooks cut, because you're going to get them cut who knows how many times through the years. Well, I had, growing up, I had every Garth Brooks album that was out, and I believe it was about 10, and they were all different. They weren't, it wasn't, none of them were live albums, meaning, so he, I mean, he's he's released a lot of, it's not like he's, he doesn't have a lot of songs out there, and he was also the one that started, like, the, to me, with the videos, Thunder Rolls, and these stories, you're being, they're being, so I kind of fell in love with making music videos because of Garth Brooks as well, and the fact that Garth Brooks was, I know that people didn't necessarily like him in Nashville because of he was kind of a, a rock star type of fella. That's what that's what that's what the story is that that he was he was kind of rejected by Nashville at some point in his career. Well, yeah, everybody was. Every every every, every singer was rejected, but but um, George Strait wasn't. Oh, I bet he was. You think? I, oh, yeah. I, I bet. I bet there's people told him no. They're in a whole. They're I don't whole, know. Whole, I mean, I'm talking about in, like, after they're already. They might have told him no, but they didn't tell Irv Woolsey no. <laughs> yeah, Irv. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I like your version way better than George Strait's. Well, thank you. Uh, I like George Strait's version, but let me just say. Well, this. I know you. You got to say that, but no. I know you really do, though. I do like his version. Um, I I think that the thing about George is. And, and Garth, that they have in common, and and the greats all have this in common. They will cut a great song. They don't necessarily have to have their name on it. You know, yep. that that's yeah. where we took a big bend in the road. When we started having songs, the only way we could get a song cut is if the artist's name was on it. We took a big left turn where when in the day – Artists would cut the best song. The best song wins. And that's how we come up. The best song wins. And we all rooted for each other. If you, if yeah. Chris Wallen's oh, yeah. song was better than mine, hey, I mean, I might cry for a few minutes, but if I heard, you know, that ain't gonna Don't happen. Blink, I mean, when I heard Don't Blink, that's a riveting song. That's a great song. Did I have a song for Kenny that day that it was better than Don't Blink? No, I did not. I'm just saying that's that's how that is one of the sad things about kind of where we've gotten to is that the best song doesn't always win the politics of a song wins and that's mm-hmm. that's sad because that makes great songs lay on the shelf and I, songs I, that aren't as great get cut right that's true so it seems like that's true i don't know i'm not on the inside but it does seem like that's true i, I will say that i know i've mentioned jim quite a, quite a lot but you keep reminding me of things he said that you know he wrote a satin sheet slide off your satin sheet oh, i love that song and uh that was supposed to be the single for paycheck's album and then when they were cutting that, uh, I think it was David Allen Cole came in the studio in a big boisterous way. You know, Jim said he was a, he was always a he was a force of nature. Yeah, he was always a very very exuberant right. to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he he said y'all are gonna cut this, and uh, he handed he he handed them the songs and they played it and then they went to cutting it and as Jim said when they were cutting it it was take this job and shove it he said I knew I didn't have the single anymore 
mm-hmm. while we were cutting that. And uh, so that kind of goes. He wasn't mad about it. He said, right, and, and he that split. was, and he so, said, and I knew that it, it, I, mine shouldn't be the single. He got bested that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, he still had a single. He had a great song. He had a well. He he meant the the one that like it was the title track of that album, I believe. Take this job and shove it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I think that was the name of that album. You know, Buddy Cannon took one of his own songs off of uh, Kenny's record to put Don't Blink on there. That doesn't surprise me because Buddy no. Cannon is that man. Yes, he is. I, I, I still have so much respect for him for doing that. Nobody does that. And it's that's like, why Buddy Cannon's still producing great records. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And produces <laughs> Willie Nelson. He mm-hmm. produced up your song, I would think. Uh, no, didn't he? He didn't do that no, one? No, uh, Matt Serletic. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I know I know he, he produces a bunch of new of the Willie stuff. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Buddy Cannon goes out to Willie's old cowboy town all the time and uh, oh, yeah. records there. Mm-hmm. So there's an album that Willie did with uh, I forgot what the album was called, but he did a song with a man named Kurt Nielsen, and it was an old Hank Senior song. Um, man, what was that song? I just showed it to you the other day. What was that song? I blocked it out, Marty. I don't. <laughs> you showed it to me, so you I, showed it to I me, and sure I blocked I it out. It. I said I hate. I have to hate that now, and I blocked it out. Son of a gun! I've listened to it thousands <laughs> of times. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, you, last thing, you've actually won an award. I believe you won one as well. You correct me if I'm wrong. Did you? Uh, I don't know what you, which award. What did, did you win an award? I have won. I've been blessed enough to win an award. A few I just others. wanted to see your brain go. <laughs> what award? No, so like I, I, you want an award for, I don't know what it's called, but it's like top ten songs I wish I'd had written that the other artists vote on. You won one as That's well, NSAI. right? Yeah. That's NSAI. Yeah, yeah. songwriters give that to uh, give that to the uh, another songwriter. Right. That, that's my favorite. Uh, my favorite awards I've ever won. I've been blessed enough to have three of those, and man, three. That's, that's my that's my Brad. favorite. That's my favorite awards. Uh, what three just songs? because it, you know who it comes from. Mm-hmm. Which three songs? Don't blink. I'm trying. Don't blink and something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Those were all songs. three number ones, weren't they? No. No. I'm two trying. of them. I'm trying one, the number one. So the other two were. Mm-hmm. What was what was the one you got? It. Troubadour. Troubadour. Oh, man. The thing is, every songwriter feels like Troubadour is their song because they have lived that song. Every songwriter feels that yeah. way. I still feel 25. You know, I'm still trying to make a name. You know, I wrote in on a song. I'll be an old Troubadour when I'm gone. They know what that means because they're living it. They're still living it. And or and even some who and here's the strange thing about it. People who even aren't songwriters identified with that song. I had a guy come up to me at Bluebird one time, and he said, Ma'am, I just thought I'd tell you something. He said, I just graduated from the Naval Academy or something down in Louisiana. And he said, um, every year they pick a song that the, the, the cadets say what they want to play when we toss our caps at the end. He said, we we did ours to Troubadour. He said, 1,200 cadets tossed their ha- caps awesome. in the air to Troubadour and sang it full voice. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it about gets you choked up. Oh, and you're, yeah. you're thinking, but why did they relate to it? I don't know, but they yeah. did. So I mean, yeah. that everybody has that kind of song that other it, it transcends the writer. It well, becomes bigger than the writer. Yeah. If it was, if it, if other people didn't relate to it, it wouldn't have done that well. Right. 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 If it was only songwriters, that's a very small group. Yes. So. Yes. But anyway, 
that's probably your favorite award that you've gotten. That is my favorite award I've ever gotten because yeah. it, I I think that when your friends are happy for you and when your friends feel that much love for you, you you've reached the pinnacle of what you can achieve in this town. People will say it's other things like Grammys or whatever. No, when your friends rally around you. Yeah, and it's I tell you what, it's me. a whole other thing too when you go go to those awards and you go up there and there's literally like. It, it, it's all of the people you look mm-hmm. up to, you know, a bunch of the people you look up to, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you get that award and, you know, you're, you're looking down there and Chris Christopherson may be right there mm-hmm. in front of you or whoever. And it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for you. Yeah. yeah. Chris Christopherson wrote one of my favorite songs. Which one? Why me Lord. It's a great song. I love it to death. My mama sung it to me growing up. Why me Lord. What have I ever done? I'm singing to you, Chris. Okay, yeah, I, I know I think that. how simple that is. I know. Yeah. So simple. So so good, though. Um, would you play us something that nobody's ever heard? Uh, that's new or? Um, well, I didn't practice anything, but I can't. I, I, I well, just play whatever you want. I just I didn't know if you had something that... Not else like myself Tend to smoke and walk the floor Entertaining old regrets That won't stop knocking at my back door At the kitchen table Midnight and blackberry wine Sadly I'm still able To feel the loss of sweeter times Oh how does lonely find me I keep moving around Oh it to unwind me just like it's doing now it keeps acting like we're best friends and I swear I don't know why lonely ain't no friend to me lonely don't Wrote that with Big Al Anderson. Big Al, mm-hmm. God, I love Big That's Al. One of my favorite songs. Now we, I think, uh, Patty Loveless cut it. I believe. I don't think it did anything. Or I'm not sure it even made the record. But I always love that song. One of my favorites. It's amazing the the amazing songs that don't make records, mm-hmm. and then you listen to the record. Mm-hmm. And you hear all those what what I always called filler songs. They seem like there would be like two or three singles that everybody knew. And when we would buy CDs, 
when I was growing up, you buy a CD for one song sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then you would listen to the rest of them and be like, these all suck. Mm-hmm. These ain't no good. But then you would you always had to buy the CD for that well, that one or two songs. Mm-hmm. And then you hear something like that and go, well, that didn't make a record. Mm-hmm. It just don't make sense to yeah. me. Well, the thing is, <clears throat> when when you're pitching songs like that or whatever, you're pitching against Dean Dillon and people like that too, you know, and they've got great songs and great names and, and they rightfully so their songs will take precedent because they've earned it, you know, and they, they're, they're great songs. I mean, I'm not saying that my song would ever need to bump somebody's song off like that, but there's just so many great songs in Nashville. That's why it's just always a gift from God if one gets cut. Well, and a lot of times people don't realize too, that uh, there's a misconception that, you know, when they're listening for songs that, which I personally think they should be listening for the best song. But a lot of times they have these slots that they need to fill. Mm -hmm. They have an idea of the album of what they need for the album. They, they might have an idea for, uh, you know, to pitch for, um, you know, for Chevrolet or something like that for a, for a Mm -hmm. theme song, or they might have a pitch for something else for another Avenue for those songs. And, they say, well, you know, uh, they're looking for these slots to fill. We need, we need at least one really good, you know, love song. We need, we need, you know, up tempos, something that really fits them. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff they're looking for. Like if you pitch a song, uh, and we got to be honest, we got with "Don't Blink." You know, we got lucky with that because they were looking for no no ballads at all. They had put the word out that no one even play them a ballad Mm -hmm. and that's what happens sometimes is they say we've already got those now we need this and this and it and it slots a lot of times and and people Mm -hmm. are thinking well you know this is their uh, the best song and it may be better but they're looking for something else you know that's just all the stars lining up and like you said great great producers like buddy who go wait just a minute let's change the slot he he rearranged something to for, to make sure that song was a part of that project. And Kenny n- trusting his producer. I mean, that's a lot of moving parts that all right. lined up. There's so many. Yeah, there's a, so many moving parts that have to go with with putting an uh, an album together. People don't realize that you know when they hear it, it's just done. Mm-hmm. But there was so many things that went on. That you know, and 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 it, and and so many tastes mm-hmm. that it has to go through, and so many ears that that it had to to go through to get to where it was. That sometimes it's you know, sometimes it's bad. It's sometimes it, it ends up not being as good as it could have been. Sometimes it ends up being an amazing record. And for an artist, and I've been a recording artist as well, it can be overwhelming. When stuff gets pitched at you, the amount of great songs that are getting pitched at you, I think that sometimes it's so overwhelming that they just, by by nature of there's just no way to listen to all of it and take it, absorb it all, they just kind of lean into the writers that they know, their friends, people that they love, like Kenny loves Dean, Kenny loves mm-hmm. Casey, loves Chris. I mean, he they lean into those writers that they know are going to consistently deliver great songs for them and that they've had success with, you know. Well, Dean had... Uh, uh, Don't fix something that ain't broken. George Straits had 60 number ones, maybe probably more than that more now. More than that now. Uh, he had 60 number ones, and Dean Dillon, if I'm not mistaken, wrote 40 of them. Hmm. 
And that was then. He's had some since then. Yeah, yeah, uh, including a bunch of Keith Whitley and a bunch of stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, but yeah, I thought Keith Whitley wrote all his own songs. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Did he write uh, "Don't Close Your Eyes"? No. Uh, Who uh, was it wrote that? Overstreet wrote "Don't Close Your Eyes," didn't he? He wrote a bunch of Overstreet wrote a bunch of them too. Don't close your but, eyes. Uh, I believe Overstreet wrote that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Well, that's shocking. Yeah. I really did think, because, you know, Keith's one of my favorites. I, th- I thought he Mm-mm. wrote all those songs. Well, some of them, uh, he, he may have co-wrote with he them. Wrote, some of them, yeah. but, but he didn't write all of them. No. Man, when I first moved to town, was I, I hadn't been here six months when Keith Whitley died. I remember calling my mother, and I said, you won't believe what they've done to this area called Music Row. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, they've draped all the doorways with black, with black fabric and... They've draped, they've covered Music Row with black because of Keith Whitley. That's how brokenhearted Music Row was over Keith Whitley dying. I have not seen them do that since. No. But Keith Whitley broke mm. people's hearts when he died. Yeah. They loved him so. I loved him. Me too. I didn't even listen. I don't even. I don't even know if I really understood. When did he die? It would have been eighty. I got here in eighty. Yeah, it was eighty. Late eighty-eight or yeah. eighty-nine. One. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I hadn't been here ten minutes when he died. Yeah, so I didn't really know him too well then because I was only six. So I, amazing I could, talent. Mm. I thought he, I thought he died in in nineties. I thought no, I remember eighty eight, eighty nine, nineteen eighty nine, May 9th, nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine says the producer. And Bob McDill wrote the wrote that song. Don't close your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Bob yeah. McDill. Son we of were a just gun. talking about Bob. McDill. Yeah, we were. Well, I know Keith Whitley wrote my favorite song by him. Tell Lori I love her. You heard that? that? Yes, but I'm yeah, yeah. No. He, he actually were, they didn't even have a. From what I understand, they he never cut that cut that in the studio. He just cut it like as a as a dim as a work tape, mm-hmm. and that's what was released because he was he, he died before mm-hmm. they he even got to cut it. But anyway, I almost had a cut one time from Darius Rucker. Oh, Darius! Years ago, yeah. I interviewed Darius Rucker on on my old old podcast from like two thousand early two thousands. And uh, he and I had numbers, and he knew me, but we weren't like buddy buddy. But I sent him. I knew. He, I heard he was cutting, and I sent him a couple of country songs that I'd written. And he he sent me back. He goes, "Man, I love that you, you baby man. That's something else." And I said, "Well, you're cutting a record. Won't you? <laughs> yeah. Won't you put it on there? And you love and? it so much. I said, you love it so much. Cut it, please." And what did he say? <laughs> Click. No, no. He said. He said, "Man, he said I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be. I'm 100 honest with you right now." He said, "There's 50 songs that we have right now," and he he told me the amount that the label gets to pick and the amount that he gets to pick, and he said, "And some of those are paying favors back." Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, he said, "So he said, I'm not saying it won't happen." He said, "But I wouldn't get my hopes up." So I was like, "All right. Well, they ain't." After that, they ain't up. Yeah. And he didn't cut it. So then after that, I was like, forget that. I'm going to do every song myself, and I ain't worried about nobody singing my music no more. I never cared about nobody cutting it again. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much for being on. We end every show with an unbelievable fact. Okay. Ben, roll that little stinger. You might think it's not true, but I assure you that it is. It's hard to believe it's an unbelievable fact. 
a cornflake in the shape of the state of Illinois sold for $1,350 in 2008. Monty Kerr from Austin, Texas, of course, bought the cornflake for his traveling museum. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's from Austin. That you know Monty? says it all. No, but it's you know Monty, don't Austin you? Austin says it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and Monty. Keep Austin weird. Is Were you the one that sold him that cornflake? No, but if I'd have seen Monty coming, I'd have chewed a cornflake in the shape of If I can find a cornflake in the shape of mm-hmm. Texas, how much would you pay for it? Nothing, because I make one myself. That's true. You are. You're very creative. This is a beautiful place you have here. Thank you very much. And I love the way you've decorated it, and I thank you so much for having us here at Old Bank Music Group Media. Old Bank Music Group. Old Bank Music Group, yeah. Golly, I I ruined that. I'm so sorry, Leslie. No, it's Old Bank Media Group. Old Bank Media Group. Group. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. But we are. uh, I'm so sorry, Leslie. We're on the cusp of new things uh, at Old Bank. I know. We're excited about it. Oh, man. I don't know if we. I don't know. I don't know when this episode is going to air. No, no, I know we. We just stay tuned. Stuff's happening. Stay tuned. Google, oh, it's happening. Google me. <laughs> Google me. Hey, Google us. Y'all be Googler. Y'all be looking on uh, Old Bank Media Groups, uh, all their social medias because there's Instagram. Big news coming, Leslie. If you want to play one more, you can. But if you don't, I understand. Um. Well. And we'll just we'll just end it at we'll just go out with you playing. I'd like to say too before you start, thank you so much. You man, you've been a friend for years and years and I love you. And also before you start, I'd like to say thank you for adopting me. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know I was adopting him. It's gonna happen now. Too late. <laughs> Satcher. Leslie Satcher. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. <laughs> Scooter and hard rock. Scooter and hard rock, mac and cheese. Man. Scooter and hard rock love mac and cheese. Oh, man, that's true. <laughs> and Leslie Satcher. That's mac and cheese is Scooter and hard rock's alter egos. Oh, Ooh, we've created something here. Man. There's layers to y'all. Maybe for that new venture, we got us a, a little story. <laughs> One of them's cheesier than the other. The life and time. <laughs> no, they're both cheesy. Well, they're both, they both got to be cheesy, but still. <laughs> Leslie, I love you to death. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. Ah, thank you all so much for listening to the Marty Ray Project Chats. And a big thank you to Rode for supplying the sound with Rodecaster Pro. Whether you like what you heard or hated what you heard, subscribe and rate us anyway. Let us have it.